It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary three by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Live from Scotiabank Arena following the Toronto Raptors 104-101 loss to the Philadelphia 76ers and a Joel Embiid three-pointer at just about the buzzer. The Raptors did have 0.8 seconds at the end of the game to get a shot up. They did not get a shot up, and they are now down 3-0 to the Sixers in their first round series. Thank you for tuning into the live show. If you have questions or any just comments and you want to drop in the chat, please do. I will get into some listener questions at the back part of the show. If you are here to hang out along with the anguish <laughs> and to sort of be sad in a group like you're supposed to be, around sports. Thanks for being here. Uh, really excited. The audio version of this show won't be up until tomorrow morning, so you get a little sneak peek at what tomorrow's episode of the podcast is going to look like. Uh, on today's show, yeah, we're going to dig into sort of my big takeaways from the game against the Sixers. We'll talk about where things went wrong on that final possession for Joel Embiid. Where things went wrong, really, in the second half as the Raptors went into the second half, leading by 10, looked really, really good for the first 24 minutes, but some things kind of like the, the dam broke a little bit in the second half when it came to the Raptors' defense. Their offense also kind of dried up. We'll dig into all of that. We'll talk about Pascal Siakam, his off night on offense. I thought he had a great game defensively, though, although he feels like a little bit of the guy kind of wearing the goat ears, goat, goat horns, whatever the goat might be, uh, <laughs> whatever part of the goat you want to wear. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Pascal. We will talk about Precious Achua as well, who, poor guy, has the game of his life and then misses two massive free throws late in the game. Uh, that sucked. Lots of learning experiences, wins and lessons, etc. Et in this game. Let's start, however, with my big takeaway from the game, and it's that Sometimes you just lose to someone amazing like Joel Embiid. And look, I know there's a lot of uh, vitriol towards Joel Embiid. No one's very thrilled about the the foul baiting and the grift and all of that stuff that's going on this series. But, I, I mean... He's an incredible basketball player. There's a reason the Raptors have had to scheme their entire game around Joel Embiid. He's fantastic. He's an MVP finalist for a reason. And sometimes he's going to hit a massive shot late in the game to sewer you and send you down 3-0. The Raptors are familiar with this certain phenomenon in game threes that are close that potentially could swing a series. And then an MVP candidate hits a buzzer beater or a very close to buzzer beater and uh, ruins some days. (laughs) It's just, it happens man. Joel Embiid's incredible, and as much as the flopping and the grift and the shamelessness that we've seen from him and James Harden in this series has certainly been a through line, there's no... You can't, you can't take anything away from the what Joel Embiid did in this game. He didn't just hit that three 
late in the game. He hit some ridiculous shots over the course of the second half. The Raptors defended him incredibly well in this game, I thought, specifically in the first half, but even through the second half, they were into him. He was being forced into a lot of really difficult looks, and sometimes a guy like that is just going to hit shots and make it really, really upsetting and sad. Uh, we will get to some questions at the end of the show. Just a reminder for anyone who's filtering into the stream so far, uh, thank us again for tuning in. Uh, I'll get to the questions in the final segment of the show. To build upon the Joel Embiid thing, I should, we should probably start with the play at the end of overtime where Embiid gets off for the three. It was a very bizarre setup for the Raptors defensively. Originally, Fred Van Vliet looked over like he was going to guard the inbound from Danny Green, and then he kind of circled back around and was standing as though he were there to defend a lob. I'm not sure who the 5'11 guy is there to defend a lob against, uh, but, you know, he went there, and then he ended up being on Embiid on a switch, as Precious Achua was also kind of on Embiid, but also not really. The thing that I kind of came away from that final possession thinking is that the the like the, the the breakdown kind of took place because the Raptors seemed terrified of fouling Embiid on that shot to the point that they forgot to defend the shot, which is a problem, of course. And it was a really really upsetting way for it to end, considering how the Raptors defended all through this one. And, and you know, just kind of go back to the beginning of the game, you know, and, and sort of the through line of the game. I, I thought the Raptors played as well as you could have hoped for. Nick Nurse said after game one that the Raptors, you know, for them to succeed, they need to have everybody kind of on the same track, everyone kind of spinning at the same time. Everyone's got to have at least an average night. You could argue that a couple of the Raptors certainly did not have average nights. We'll talk about Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam coming up. Uh, you know, I'm seeing some of the comments about Pascal Siakam. I will get to why I think those are uh, misguided at this present moment, uh, but that'll come up in, in the second segment when I go through my box score notes. But when it came to the, this game, I mean, the Raptors got everybody pulling in the same direction, and it was really beautiful to see. Gary Trent Jr. comes back. He looked incredible. He he was just there to finish plays off the way he has all season long. I've talked on this show all year about how when Gary Trent Jr. is on the floor, the numbers bear out. Gary Trent Jr. is one of the most important guys for this Raptors team when he's on the floor to drive offense. Other than Pascal Siakam, he drove offense more than anybody else when he was on the floor this season. And to see the last two games and the offense, you know, it was actually pretty effective offense if we're you know kind of going through the numbers they were very good in the half court in the last two games offense wasn't really their problem but you saw what Gary Trent Jr. provides when he's on the floor the spacing the extra shot making the sort of end of clock bailout stuff I thought he was awesome put in a really good effort and I thought his defense in this one was pretty solid too outside of a couple of pretty bad blow buys with James Harden um, you know beyond that you got OG Ananobi just kind of going supernova we'll talk about him in the next segment too Precious Achua had an incredible game I thought Chris Boucher was fine he played pretty sparing minutes overall let me just check here. Boucher just played 17 minutes. Probably would have liked to see a little bit more. Uh, but I thought, you know, he brought his typical, you know, crazy energy and flying all over the place and uh, really solid, you know, contests in the corners. And that's kind of where this game was different from games one and two. The defense just felt like it was on the string that we know the Raptors defense can get on and really kind of accelerate what the other team has to do, force quick decisions, force bad decisions. And they were really all over the Sixers, specifically in the first half. They forced 22 turnovers in this game. They forced four MB turnovers in the first quarter alone and seven, I think, in the first quarter uh, as a whole. They were playing like Raptors basketball. It was 
was beautiful to see. And the defense really held up, I thought, for most of the game. The Sixers did get going a little bit in the third quarter, but they still only managed 49 second-half points. Uh, you know, you throw in the overtime as well with the nine. You know, I, I thought the Raptors, the defense was certainly not the problem here. And the offensive issues that have kind of been the bugaboo for this team all season long reared their ugly head a little bit in the form of some pretty dead-looking possessions, some trouble against the Sixers' zone that they threw out outside of a couple of really nice sequences where they busted the zone with either Siakam or Precious from the middle. It was pretty pretty tricky for them to get looks. Their offense really bogged down in the middle of the game. But back to my point of everyone kind of being on the same page, they very much were. Pascal had, you know, for all of the faults on offense tonight, was amazing defensively. He was incredible on Tyrese Maxey, the first answer the Raptors have had for Maxey in this entire series. Fred Van Vliet had a really good defensive game as well. He looked like he was able to actually stay in front of Maxey when he was on him, did some good work on Harden too. And they also changed their defensive scheme up a little bit in a way that kind of was more conducive to what they want to do. They weren't sending all that extra attention towards Harden. They were really daring Harden to score, and in the first half, it worked pretty well. He got going a little bit as the game went along, and, you know, he just kind of got comfortable driving to his left and realizing, okay, there might be some help at the rim, there might not. I'm just going to see what I can do here. He did a good job spraying out passes when he did see help for, for the most part. A couple of bricks here and there, though, and I mean, if I'm a Sixers fan, I'm pretty concerned about James Harden, just in general, about, like, what it's all going to look like uh, when... Uh, you know, when you know you get to the deeper part of the playoffs and James Harden is looking as cooked as he did, I tweeted tonight that he looks like he's perpetually in a state of eating a foot-long hot dog. Like, he just totally looks cooked. But credit to him, he did some good playmaking in this one. I think he had 10 assists overall. He fouled out late, which was fun. Uh, but, you know, th that ultimately I don't think really had that much bearing on the Sixers' ability to win this game, obviously. Um, but yeah, just to kind of go back to the way the way they had defended Harden, they did single coverage on him, finally. We've been calling for it for two games. They just dared him to be a scorer. And with Embiid, they did a really good job, especially in the first half, of kind of changing up the way they sent their double teams at him. You know, for the most part in this series, they have been kind of, like early with the double teams. You know, Embiid would get it on the block, and then all of a sudden there's two guys flying at him before he's even done anything, and he's just making skip passes over dudes, dudes he's taller than. It wasn't a very good situation for him. And... Or it wasn't a very good situation for the Raptors. In this game, they kind of waited. They baited Joel Embiid into trying to score one-on-one -on -one against Ken Birch or Precious Achua or Pascal Siakam, whoever it might have been. And they did a really good job of sending that extra attention kind of late after he'd already gotten into his move. And it was kind of a point of no return thing when it came to his playmaking. And they turned him over a ton. You know, in this game, six turnovers for Embiid. The defense was, you know, really excellent, I thought. And it was nice to see them kind of get back to their principles and play a Raptors style of defense. Of course, the offense was the star of the show for the Raptors coming into this this game in this in the series. They were scoring at a ridiculous rate, better than the best offensive rating in the entire NBA from this season over the course of the first two games. The half-court offense was just lights out. They were on their first shot half-court offense. They were absolutely brilliant. And they lost that a little bit in this one, and we'll get to why that happened in just a second. We'll also give some flowers to Precious Achua and OG Ananobi and the rest. But first, I got to tell you about our friends over at Shady Rays. Perhaps you are feeling, uh, maybe you had a little, uh, some drinks tonight uh, watching the game, and tomorrow morning you might be a little bit, uh, let's say, light sensitive. Shady Rays is the place to go. Get yourself some sunglasses from Shady Rays. They are wonderful. They are the independent sunglass company that gives you the features of a $200 pair of sunglasses for the fraction of the price. That means polarized lenses, well Constructed durable frames, and they uh, also have a one-of-a-kind, wonderful protection 
program. If you lose or break a pair of Shady Rays, just call them up and say, hey, I, I my, my glasses are, bu- are busted, I lost them. They will send you a pair. You just pay a small processing fee, but you get a free pair of glasses for that fee. They're awesome. They are really, really trying to make it so. The problem of losing sunglasses is no more. I know I lose sunglasses all the time. I never spend money on sunglasses and treat myself. I always buy crap from the, the dollar store because I know I'm going to lose them. Shady Rays has that protection for you. Right now, if you go to ShadyRays.com, use the code LOCKEDON, all one word, you get 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's code LOCKEDON for their best deal of the season. 50% off two or more pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses. That is the quality of a $200 pair of sunglasses for the price of Shady Rays. Cut in half. Go do it. Check out ShadyRays.com. Backed by over 150,000 five-star reviews. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's get back into where things went wrong for the offense in this game. You know, the Sixers played a lot of zone in this one, and there were just some really sort of sticky, bogged-down possessions. The Raptors, frankly, bailed themselves out of a few with some, like, crazy late-shot, late-late-clock shot-making. OG had a couple of late ones. Precious had a couple of bailouts. Gary Trent Jr. did as well. But really, this game, I think, came down to... Pascal Siakam and his inability to have any burst getting by anyone, and credit to Tobias Harris. Like, I was fully on the Tobias Harris is a pumpkin bandwagon coming into this series, fully convinced that Tobias Harris not actually you know, with it in the postseason, and his past record kind of has shown that. He was awesome in this series, or has been awesome in this series. The series is not over just yet. Uh, he has been awesome, and he did a really good job in single coverage on Pascal. I thought Pascal was a little bit too dependent on his backing down with his ass, frankly. Uh, you know, he did a lot of sort of trying to get to the spin move by backing into Harris, and Harris stood his ground. Credit to him. It led to a lot of turnarounds. You know, Seahawkum hit a few of them. He hit a really nice one just before the half that was part of a huge sequence. It was sort of like a five or six point swing with the Danny Green technical foul. The Raptors get that the free throw. They get two offensive rebounds, and then they end up getting that Siakam bucket, and they go into the half up 10. That was really impressive. And and, you know, the first half for Siakam, he was 6 of 11. He really, really settled in. Didn't have the same juice in the second half. Just finishes on 12 points. He was 0 of 5 in the second half. And look, I thought his playmaking was fine. He had three turnovers to four assists. I think he was getting it out of there pretty quickly in a lot of cases, and it was kind of swinging around. Um, but he didn't have the legs to blow by anybody, and he wasn't finding those mismatches against a Maxi or a George Niang like he has so far in this series, or like he has all season long. And that really, when the sort of mismatch hunting element of the Raptors takes a hit like that, it's already taken a hit when Scotty Barnes not available. It really, really cuts into what the Raptors can do with Siakam and Barnes being so instrumental to what they do in the half court. That said, the, like, I mean, we're seeing it already in the comments here, which is discouraging and disappointing. Um, but the thing with Pascal, he had a bad offensive game. Sure, fine. If you want to, like, draw conclusions and tie it back to the bubble, 
Go nuts, I suppose. I think you're hilariously wrong in your evaluation of him, and I don't think a 6 of 16 game in a game like this, where he played 48 minutes of incredible defense on Tyrese Maxey, on Joel Embiid, on James Harden. Like, he was doing, uh, it was pointed out to me on Twitter by a listener, uh, you know, that he was kind of doing the thing from back in the Wizards series back in 2017 in his second season when he was part of the bench mob, when he was just smothering guards, switching on to them and just being a complete sort of, all right, you're not an issue anymore. And he was huge on Maxi. He's the reason Maxi didn't get going until later in this game in overtime. He was awesome on defense. And that is the through line with Pascal Siakam. Even when his offense is off, you are getting elite level defense. He's the captain of the defense. He's directing traffic. He's getting mad at guys when they screw up because he knows the mistakes they made. That is part of the game. It's half of the game. The offense sucked. Yes, it was a rough, rough night for Siakam. But if you're looking at it as, oh, this is proof that he's bad, get rid of him, whatever, that's just insane to me. And I don't think most sane-sounded-minded people are thinking that. I, I think, you know, most people probably have a bit of perspective on the whole thing. And ultimately, this season is about figuring out what this team is. What does this team have? And if it's proven that Pascal Siakam can't be the number one offensive option for a team that has high ambitions in the postseason, guess what? That's fine. We knew coming into the season that was probably the case for him. He's had an incredible year. Doesn't mean he's not worthy of All-NBA. He's been that good. He might get on there. It seems like a lot of ballots do have him, the ones that have been made public. That doesn't change what pass, like what what happened tonight doesn't change Pascal Siakam and his role within the team and his fit within the construct of what they're doing. You know, Vision six foot nine doesn't exist without Pascal Siakam. And the nice thing is, is Scotty Barnes is sitting right there, a 20-year-old cherub who looked incredible in his first game, might actually be back for the game on Saturday, which even if it's a Viking funeral game and they lose or it's on the way to a gentleman's sweep, it's still a really, really nice thing to have Scotty Barnes hopefully get more playoff run. And there's a world in which he becomes sort of the guy over the course of the next couple of years. Maybe not next year. That's a lot to ask of a guy who's 20 years old, will be just barely 21 by the time the next season starts. But you can see that's where this is headed. And if it ends up in a situation where it's Pascal Siakam is the number two as Scotty Barnes ascends, you are golden. The Siakam-Barnes duo works. On defense, it's monstrous and that's with Scotty having a pretty rough season this year and a lot of facets on defense as you go forward here it's just going to I think continue to kind of coalesce those guys have such great chemistry they're so smart they're such great playmakers I really think you know if you're sort of already out on Siakam after one game I think you're just totally missing the forest for the trees and ultimately this season's about learning what you got and if it's proven that Siakam can't be a Jason Tatum type he's not going to have that leap within him that's totally fine doesn't mean he's not a max player doesn't mean he's not worth having on the team and I think the sort of quick jump to always discredit Pascal Siakam is a little bit insane also Chad Thundercock oh that's a name uh, <laughs> in the comments uh, saying or trade Siakam for Gobert uh, I want no part of the Rudy Gobert vibes on the team that I watch play basketball thank you very much and Rudy Gobert uh, you, you want to guy who's going to become a pumpkin on offense in a playoff series, uh, Rudy Gobert's your guy. Uh, Pascal's awesome, and I think, you know, rough game for him, learning experience, all that stuff, and if it's proof that he's not a number one, cool. We knew that probably was the case coming in. Uh, Fred Van Vliet had a really rough game too. Uh, you know, he played 45 minutes, very arduous defense. He did have nine assists in this game, and I thought he had a couple of really huge bailout shots. Going two of ten from three, is really tough, man. Like, you just need him to produce a little bit more from downtown. He's been struggling, of course, since the All-Star break. And I think what we've learned in this series is that next season, preserving Fred Van Vliet has to be 
of the utmost priority because he is just not the player he was at the start of the season. It reminds me a lot of the 2015 Kyle Lowry season where he carried such a big burden when DeMar DeRozan was injured and he just never reached full health again. His back was messed up. He could barely jump by the time the playoffs came around. And I think we're kind of seeing that situation play out here with Fred Van Vliet. And so I think it's proof that, yeah, they need to get some sort of backup guard, whether it's Malachi Flynn stepping into more of a role. And shout out Malachi Flynn. He only played eight minutes in this game. He scored no points. I thought he was awesome. He was incredible on James Harden. Had a huge sequence where, uh, first of all, he, he guarded Harden uh, really well in a one-on-one situation. I think it led to a basket, a sort of a broken play. So many of those plays for the Sixers in this game, by the way. Amazing first uh, shot defense for the Raptors and then a stupid offensive board or, a, or a, uh, you know just an awkward bounce or something like that ended up leading to buckets. But I thought the way Flynn guarded Harden in this game was really encouraging. Again, I'm not sure if he's the backup point guard of the future or anything like that, or a guy who could spell Fred, but there were some promising signs, and you know, when you talk about everyone kind of being pulling in the same direction, having an average game or better, I thought Malachi Flynn was uh, really, really excellent in his eight minutes in the role that he was asked to play, which was just basically, don't get blown by by James Harden and Tyrese Maxey try to make their lives miserable. He had the one where he had a really great stop on Harden, forced him into a tough three, and there was an offensive board grabbed by the Sixers, there was a pass out Harden tried to grab it, but Malachi just like fully wide receivered up and grabbed it. It was a really, really great sequence. And so, again, if you can get more of that next season from Flynn, cut down the minutes on Fred and all that. And I sound like I'm eulogizing the season. There's still games to go. Doc Rivers is coaching the other team. Uh, as our friend Lewis Zatzman from Raptors Republic noted before the game, the one thing yet to be on Doc Rivers' resume as a coach is a 3-0 series blown. Uh, so, hey, cross your fingers for that kind of karmic justice or something. But, yeah, you know, Fred is just burnt out. 45 minutes is a lot of minutes for a guy who has had so much on his plate this season, and I think it's kind of catching up. Not dissimilar to what we've seen with Kevin Durant in this series against the Celtics, where he just looks absolutely exhausted, went 0 for 10 in the second half tonight. It happens to the best of them, as it turns Turns out when you are playing crazy, crazy minutes, and it does feel like they're in a similar cycle to those early Dwayne Casey years, where he rode guys like crazy and then got wise as it went along. As, as he went along to, hey, we can't play these guys insane minutes all the time. So again, Siak and Fred, probably the reasons the offense fell apart in this one. You know, it's fair to say, but I don't think it changes anything about their station with the team. And if you're looking at next year's team with Scotty taking more of a role, everyone kind of slides down a notch in responsibility. That is a world that you can happily operate within and go into next season feeling pretty good about. Um, should get to a couple of uh, uh, questions. We'll get to those in a sec here. I do, however, want to take a second to talk about... Precious Achua and OG Ananobi, who were the two best Raptors in this game by far. OG hunting mismatches all over the place, finding Tyrese Maxey whatever he could, finishing through traffic, finishing on post-ups, pull-up threes, pull-up twos, getting to the line. He was so, so good. OG is a playoff-ass player, man, and... Like, it's like, I don't like talking about players through the lens of their contract because I think it's boring and lame and stupid. But if you're looking at like value contracts in the NBA, a 24 year old OG Ananobi making 18, 20 million bucks a year is an insane value for this Raptors team. And I think all the sort of belief in OG and his ability to kind of level things up and and, and take next steps, like, it's really kind of come to fruition here. And look, He's the perennial, this guy's going to take a leap guy every single year. I think it's been proven that he has taken a leap of sorts this season. I think I really compare him a lot to championship season Pascal Siakam with the opportunistic scoring, taking what the defense is giving him because they're leveraged elsewhere and really punishing teams for that. He's done that wonderfully every game in this series. Nick Nurse talked about it after the game as well. Fred Van Vliet talked about it sort of 
the extra attention that Siakam was getting, the extra attention Fred's getting, all that is leading to what OG's doing. And if OG's ceiling is a guy who absolutely demolishes teams when they forget about him, that is a pretty damn exciting ceiling to have. So, yeah, obviously would have preferred a better outcome, would have preferred that OG game be vindicated and sort of satisfied with uh, with a win, but really, really encouraging stuff. He continues to be an absolute beast in Game 3s in which the Raptors are trying to save their season and having their season uh, summarily ended by hilarious game winners by MVPs. It's a very, very mirrored-type thing to that 2017, was that? Yeah, 2018, uh, you know, hell shot from LeBron off the bank. Um, and then Precious Achua, we got to talk about him too. He was so, so good in this game. 20 points, 9 of 11, 6 boards. He was busting the zone from the middle of it, flashing to the nail, quickly getting to the basket. He just ISO'd Joel Embiid at one point and blew by him and scored. And the polish for Precious Achua on offense in this game. It's like, watch a game from November and watch the game from tonight. They will be unrecognizable players. The early version of Precious and this version of like totally not at all connected in any way. Yet somehow the development Precious has gone through over the course of the season bore out tonight. And actually, the one that I thought kind of exemplified it most, there was a an offensive rebound and bucket that he put up in the fourth quarter. I can't remember what it was. Uh, it was to just looking at my notes here, bear with me. Um, but he, uh, it, it tied the game at 92, perhaps, if I'm not mistaken. Um, either way, it was an awesome, awesome sequence and really exemplified the growth that we've seen from Precious this season, right? He started the season, like, anytime he grabbed an offensive rebound, it was a guaranteed turnover or missed bunny. He was never converting those plays. In this situation, in crunch time, in an insanely close contest, gets the offensive board, puts it back up comfortably. It was just a really great example of sort of season development. And again, sort of the vindication of what this season's been all about. And I think we know for sure Precious Achua is a real one. He's probably going to be the starting center on next year's team. He's the answer to the center question. And honestly, because he can shoot, because he can defend everybody, it seems, he is the guy who unlocks Vision six foot nine as being an actually viable thing. You need strong center play. You need the skills that centers bring. And if Precious is doing that at the mobile six foot nine that he is, uh, it's 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 ridiculous and it's hilarious and it's going to be so so fun to watch him take even further steps next season. But even if he's just the player we saw in this series or that we've seen in this series, that's a pretty damn good player to have on your team going into next year. So lots of optimism here, I suppose. Uh, as Chad notes here, so high on Precious, you should be. He, he's a really really fun dude and. And super easy to root for and to watch this sort of very steady not even slow but just like the accelerated curve of his development this season has been one of the most satisfying things about this year um we're gonna move into the if you have questions i have one more ad read to get to here on the other side i'll take some questions i also just kind of want to talk about this loss in sort of the context of raptors losses uh maybe sort of ease some sad feelings look it sucks right now that was a bummer of a shot it sucks that there was a breakdown like that it sucks that it happened kind of on the same basket that joel Embiid, uh you know that, that led to joel Embiid crying almost three years ago here in toronto Really a bummer as to how it sort of played out. And if you're, you're feeling stung right now, absolutely justified. Uh, but I, I do want to talk about sort of that the game within the context of former or past Raptors losses and why I don't really think it's that big a deal. I don't think it really compares it to some of the tougher losses the Raptors have suffered. 
While I do the ad read and tell you about our friends over at Built Bar, please drop any questions you might have in the comments, and I'll answer them for you on the other side. Uh, but first, I do have to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar, who are making the best-tasting protein bars in the whole wide world. you got to check them out. I love Built Bars. I eat them all the time. I forgot to bring one with me today. I was in Toronto all day long for some stuff that I was doing, and I really wish I had my Built Bars on hand, because I got hungry walking around town, you know, doing things, getting my steps and all that, and I really wish I had a Built Bar in hand because it's a great way to replace a meal, to fill that hole, and to also feel indulgent without actually being indulgent. Typical Built Bar has 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 grams of net carbs. It's about a half the calories that you'll find in a typical candy bar, and it's about an eighth of the sugar, which is incredible and also wild that we put that much sugar into our bodies via candy bars. And look, I'm a culprit. I eat lots of candy bars, but I am trimming back because Built Bar is there for me. It tastes just like a candy bar. It has the same mouthfeel as a candy bar. The mouthfeel is very important when it comes to a protein bar. Usually it sucks. Not the case with Built Bar. The thing that they do is they make it taste great first and then figure out how to make it uh, healthy for you afterwards. Don't know how they do it, but they do it every single time. And if you go to Built.com right now, use the promo code LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, you're going to get 15% off your order. That's the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. Go check them out. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Still looking for some questions in the chat, so please send them over. Uh, I'll get to those. Actually, we'll get to one right now. Chad asks, do you think Masai is making any major moves this offseason or mostly going through another year of development? Uh, look, this is a premature question, number one. Game four is on Saturday, and look, it might be a sort of Viking funeral type thing. It might be something where, uh, you know, the, 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 the season ends unceremoniously or they go back for a gentleman's sweep in, in Philly, but I think every game you can get for this team is valuable, and if you get Scotty Barnes back on Saturday, hey, if they can replicate the formula on defense from today, add Scotty to the mix, hopefully get a better game from Pascal, there's certainly an avenue here for the Raptors to win, maybe even win two, and get it back to game six. Like, they're not going to win this series. In, like, history tells us they're toast, but history doesn't tell us they can't go win a couple games here and still get some extra run. Um, I, I think as far as, uh, you know... The question from Chad to get back on track here about any major moves this offseason. I honestly don't think we'll see anything crazy barring some unforeseen star becoming available. I think the only way the Raptors are really moving this offseason, and if it's an upgrade on one of their current core guys, they are in a position where they can do a whole lot of stuff. Yes, they don't have their first round pick this year, but they have all their first beyond that. They also have the 33rd pick in this year's draft. That's not bad. Plus, they've got a lot of dudes on hand. If a star becomes available, you've got really movable, exciting contracts that other teams might want. OG, Precious, Gary Trent Jr., Siakam, Fred, every single one of them is on a movable trade. I don't think any of the one is getting traded. I would bet against that, and I would honestly say that we're probably going to see pretty much the same team next season, barring maybe a couple of changes here or there. Um, but yeah, I, I think with the idea of uh, you know this offseason, I, I really don't think we're going to see a ton in terms of big swings, unless like, you know, 
something I've kind of kicked around in my head is, hey, what if Donovan Mitchell becomes available down in Utah? Maybe that's a thing, and you can you know put together a package that's interesting to Utah. Maybe the Jazz don't want to bottom out. They want to get some guys back that they can kind of throw in and still be competitive. I have no idea. Trades are hard to work out. It's more likely than not that they're not going to happen. But uh, you know, that's I think the only thing I see. I don't see I don't see them like off selling pieces or anything like that. I think they're just going to go into next season with the team they have and continue to build on what was started this season. And keep in mind, they're ahead of schedule still. They are still well ahead of schedule based on where they were supposed to be coming into the year. They won freaking 48 games despite starting 9-13 and and really taking like two, three months to really get rolling. This is a team I think that should have designs on 50 wins next season. And if that doesn't happen next year, if they fall short, then maybe that's when you start to look at changes to the core. Next one here comes from Mark Burns asking, does the Thad Young trade look bad now? Hasn't played much in the playoffs. Maybe just injury, but was not on the report today. Um, look, I, I think the injury is bothering him no matter what. He's got the thumb brace on, and he's a left-handed shooter, and it's on his left thumb. And he's been really, really important as a corner shooter for the Raptors. I think there's a reason why he wasn't playing. Um, I don't think the trade looks bad yet. Because I think it all depends on whether or not they bring him back. They have his bird rights. And Masai Ujiri, when talking about the trade on or the day after the deadline, mentioned Thad's bird rights with like the first answer that he had. And I do think that hints at, okay, let's try to bring this guy back. He's not going to cost you a ton. And he seems to like it here. He seems to fit the culture and very much fit the vision of the team. And the team seems to absolutely love him. Precious has talked like everyone's ear off about how much he loves Thad Young and how important he's been, what a mentor he's been to him. I think that is, uh, you know, a, a really important thing. The locker room chemistry stuff, we can't quantify it. There's no numbers for it, but it obviously matters. If the players say it matters, I'm inclined to say, yeah, that probably matters. And so I think Thad is very likely to be back. I'm happy if he's back on a reasonable deal, whether you give him a chunk of the mid-level, whether you give him a biannual exception. I don't know what Thad's going to want in a contract. Maybe he goes somewhere else to go try to win a title. But if he's happy and you can get him back on a reasonable deal, I think he fits the vision perfectly. And if you can get a full year of integrating Thad Young, who's a very quirky player. He's a difficult guy to play with. He throws weird offbeat passes. He's kind of like a older, slower version of Scotty Barnes almost in that he sees things before others do. And I think if you get a full summer, a full preseason of getting to work Thad into the system, I think you'll see better results. We saw some really, really nice flashes from him. If they don't bring him back, sure, you can feel upset if, if, you, if, you, you know, if he's not back and you got what we saw from Thad down the stretch in exchange for that first round pick. But keep in mind, they dropped 13 spots in the draft, 20 to 33. There's a very good chance that someone who's as good as a 20th pick drops to 33 and the Raptors get the guy anyway on a second round contract as opposed to a first round contract, which is interesting as well for a team that is going to have a lot of money on the books. So I don't think it's a lost trade just yet. Talk to me after the offseason and if they bring him back. Uh, Let's go to this next one here. This one comes from uh, John Hamilton asking, Precious OG, Gary Scotty should be the new core. Why does Pascal come up short again in the playoffs? 20 points doesn't cut it. Uh, do you think the Raps need a big center? Lots of different questions here. Again, you know, if you missed the earlier part of the show, and need to listen to it. I, I think the Pascal scoring is insane. I think, like, are we going to learn ever? <laughs> like, the... Like, the vitriol he saw after the bubble was, frankly, disgusting and way off base and way devoid of context. He's been good in this series. He was great in Game 1. He was less good in Game 2. But the Raptors have had a very effective offense in this series for the most part. Not tonight, because Pascal fell off. But the Raptors' offense is driven by Pascal Siakam. Even if he's not scoring, the attention he's drawing is what's opening stuff up for other people. 
And it might just be that he's a number two option, and that's fine. I've, I'm not going to relitigate. You can go listen to the full episode if you missed the second segment. But uh, I have no problem with Pascal Siakam remaining on this team. He's 28 years old. He's on a, a contract for two more years. It's totally fine. Max contract. He's a max contract player. He's going to make All-NBA. All-NBA guys make max deals. It's just the way it is. Um, and I have no problem with him being around, especially considering the fit with Scotty. I do think, however, that if you're looking for hope, precious OG Gary Scotty being on the team, that's pretty nice when it comes to guys to compliment Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet. Nothing wrong with having those guys. Uh, to me, uh, have more good players? It's kind of the way to build a team. And I don't think you just go get rid of bad players or get rid of good players because they had a bad playoff game or two. Uh, as far as the big center thing, I think they could use one who's just like kind of a deep bench guy, kind of in the Ken Birch role, who's a little bit bigger. Honestly, Ken Birch did a fine job, I thought, on Embiid over the last two games. Maybe you can get by with it. But as I said earlier, Precious Achua, showing what he's shown, he's doing big center things while also being so mobile and ridiculously athletic. I think you're fine with him if he's the center of the future. I don't think you need to go get a huge center. There's not that many Joel Embiid's out there. If it ends up being that you have designs on a championship and you need to go and get a center like they did for Gasol for a specific matchup, that's sort of like a deadline final piece of the puzzle thing to me as opposed to something you go and hunt on the market. Because look, you're going to overpay somebody probably. You know, centers are not all that available. There's not that many centers out there, not many good ones worth spending money on. And if you're going to go throw a max deal at, you know, DeAndre Ayton and try to do a sign and trade or something like that, you're probably setting yourself up for some bad asset allocation that way. So I don't think they really need a big center and I think they're fine with what they've got. Um, from Sundeep Kumar asks the question, what type of pieces should the Raptors target in the offseason? So many offseason questions, guys. It's not over yet. Let's, let's, let's chill a little bit. We got game four. Um, but as far as pieces, I mean, ultimately, I think what I think is probably not what the front office thinks. The front office has very clearly gone all in on this vision. And honestly, I think the biggest additions for next year's team could stand to be guys like Justin Champagny and Delano Banton. Justin Champagny in particular, I'm really intrigued by him. He was awesome in the G League this season, super high usage, putting up like six threes a game, was averaging 20, shooting 40% from three. We know he's just got a knack for the ball rebounding wise. I think Champagny's going to be a rotation staple next season. I'm willing to sort of put money on that right now. And you know, if you have Champagny mixed in, you bring back Chris Boucher, which is a big one, obviously. And, you know, he played so well this season and has been so uh, instrumental to the defense and just sort of executing the vision that I think they're going to want to try to bring him back as well. Not a ton of teams out there with a crazy amount of cap space to throw some absurd money at him. So I think there's a pretty good chance he's back on a pretty reasonable contract, too. Um, so I, I think, you know, more 6'9 guys, I'm fine if they go get him. I do think they probably need, though, if they don't think Malachi Flynn is the answer... I think they absolutely need to go and get a backup point guard just to soak up Fred minutes. I don't think you got to go spend crazy money on him or whatever. Maybe it's a, a thing where you try to find like a season four-year guard who's in the draft with the 33rd pick, and maybe they step in and can kind of go right away. Lots of guys have done that in the past. Um, you know, it's asking a lot of a guy, but hey, maybe that's something you can do. Um, I mean, they tried to do that with Flynn at 29 and it didn't work. So you're probably going to want someone a little bit more seasoned, but I think they've got to get a backup point guard for Fred to at least spell him there. If it's a big point guard, fine. Go get DeLon right for all I care. Get a big, weird point guard. That's cool with me, too. But I do think someone to just ensure that you're not 
grinding Fred Van Vliet into dust over the course of the season is going to be a really important thing to target this offseason. Beyond that, I think more 6'9 guys and more shooting is never going to hurt, but I think we see the sort of makings of what the core is going to look like next season, and you should be pretty encouraged between Precious, Scotty, OG, Siakam, Fred, uh, Boucher if he's back. Like, that's seven guys right there. Throw in Champagny. Maybe you get some growth from Delano Banton. Uh, you know, bring back Thad Young. You're looking at a pretty deep roster. I, I think... The thing that was exposed a little bit in this series is there just wasn't quite enough in terms of depth, in terms of extra options to go to, and it would be really nice if you could go and, and get some extra pieces. So it's not even so much that all those guys are going to play in every game in the playoffs, but having extra pieces when one's not working to swap in and out, try different looks, I think that's a thing to go and look for. But again, I don't think it's going to be a terribly like tense offseason. Honestly, it's kind of a relief. The last few offseasons have been a nightmare. The Kawhi thing, totally stressful, incredibly stressful. Like, like the year before, DeMar gets traded. The year before that, Kyle Lowry's a free agent. Like, there hasn't been a quiet offseason in a while. You lose Gasol and Ibaka the following year. And then this past offseason, you lose freaking Kyle Lowry. You trade him away and there's that whole sort of upheaval. I'm very excited for a chill offseason with not much turnover. And I think that's what's going to happen barring some star becoming available. But again... Game four is coming up on Saturday. They're not going to win this series, more likely than not. However, it's valuable to turn your attention to that game and hope that they can play a good basketball game over the course, uh, you know, on Saturday afternoon and hopefully extend this thing out. The more reps you can get, the more games like that that we saw tonight here at Scotiabank Arena for this team, every single one is incredibly valuable. Precious Achua is going to learn from missing those free throws late. Uh, you know, he's going to learn from getting kind of mixed up on the on the Joel Embiid 3 as well. Uh, you know, I, I don't think there's too much to be concerned about here in terms of, um, you know, the, the it, like, it, it's not, I've lost my train of thought. It's not over. Let's look at game four. And with that, you know, we can look back on game three a little bit now, too. It's a tough loss, man. <laughs> it sucks. It, it's a real gut punch. It seemed like the Raptors had this one. Frankly, they should have been up by more than 10 at halftime. And credit the Sixers. Some incredible shot making worked in there. Um, again, some really like fortuitous bounces off of offensive rebounds and, and sort of threes that were created out of that after some really good first shot defense. You got to clean them up, obviously, and the Raptors failed to do that quite a bit tonight. But And like, frankly, they almost lost it at the end of regulation with that Tobias Harris putback that should have gone down and didn't. And my God, that rim is a, is a menace when it comes to the Raptors and Sixers in the playoffs. It's ridiculous. But, um, you know, when it comes to the grand scheme, I look at this game, I'm already looking at this game as sort of something we're going to look back at 10 years from now, 5 years from now, as sort of a formative loss for this version of the team. It's a new version of the team. This was Siakam and Fred's first shot at being the guys in the postseason. Keep that in mind as well. Yet Pascal was kind of the guy back in the series against the, the Celtics in the bubble, but really... Because of the layoff, because he was so rusty, because Kyle was just such a supernova in that series, it really was Kyle's team. This is the first year it's been Fred and Pascal's team. And I think that's worth keeping in mind here, too. You gotta go through this stuff, man. You gotta go through heartbreaking loss. You gotta get kicked in the, in the midsection. And it's just what happens. It's how teams build. It's how teams get towards whatever they're gonna... It sounds corny as hell, but like, look at NBA history. Very rarely does a team not go through a whole bunch of lumps before reaching whatever they're going to be. They have Scotty Barnes. That's what the this season is about. This is That's what matters about this year. They have Scotty freaking Barnes. End of story, full stop. That's what matters most. And this, as a sort of first step in the Scotty Barnes era, 
is going to be something we look back on. Remember back in 2014 when Paul Pierce blocks Kyle Lowry and it's the most upsetting thing you've ever seen? Does anyone actually feel that badly about that anymore? No. And even if the Raptors hadn't won a title, I don't think you really feel that badly about it if the Raptors go on a seven-year run of making the playoffs every year and win a bunch of games all the time and win playoff series and make conference finals, etc., Like, you're not looking back at that as a bad thing. It sucks in the moment for sure. Like, I'm going to be watching that clip tonight and, and like, weeping into my, I guess it's almost the morning, but uh, I'll be weeping into whatever beverage I have when I get home, um, watching that Joel Embiid shot. It sucks, but... I don't think that's one that's going to stick with you quite as long. I don't think it's going to stick with you like the LeBron shot, you know, over OG in the game three of 2017 will. I don't think it's going to stick with you like the JV mixed, mixed tippins at the end of game one in the 2018 series against the Cavs. Like it's, it's, um, you know, it, I guess that was the same series. God, that series sucked. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's not going to, it, it, it just, it builds upon it, right? The point Chad makes about this being unfortunate that Scotty's getting a minimal playoff experience, that absolutely is true. It's a real bummer he's missed the last couple of games. You hope he can get back in there for Saturday. Sounds like he's working towards that. Nick Nurse seemed like he was almost ready to put him in today. Uh, you know, seemed like there's a lot of progress going on there. So hopefully there's a game or two more here for Scotty. Um, but also, I kind of saw all I needed to see in game one. Like, this dude's ready. This guy doesn't care. This guy is, uh, like a, a maniacal winner type. And, and I think, you know, I'm thrilled about what's going to happen next season. I'm thrilled about seeing what he can do if he gets back in there on Saturday. And yeah, I, as Matt T points, be cry for, cry for 24 hours, maybe two days. You get the two days to cry between now and Saturday. But ultimately, grand scheme of things, like, this loss is not going to go down as some sort of great failure. And also, the Raptors won a title three years ago. I know, like, people are like, well, win again. You know, go do the thing. I am still instituting my, like, five years before I can get mad about a Raptors loss, really, like, that mad, uh, you know, after winning the title. Like, there's still, like, that buffer period, at least for me. I'm not here to tell you how to be a fan. If you want to be upset, be upset. But I, I do think, sort of, big picture, which is what I try to do on this show. I don't know if it works, but uh, I, I do try to kind of take the 10,000-foot view, and this is going to be the type of thing that in three, four, five years, we look back on as one of those formative experiences for this team, which is really, really cool. Uh, yeah, take the two days, Chad. Get get, get sad. Um, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much. I've gone longer than I thought I would. We got more people on the stream than I thought I would, which is awesome. I thought, like, after the loss, it would be uh, a pretty dead stream. But thank you so much for tuning in and supporting the show, subscribing to, to the channel and everything like that. Uh, you know, I'll still be here, of course, uh, tomorrow. Well, I guess today's Thursday already. Yeah, uh, on Friday, Rohan Nadkarni from SI.com and the Open Floor Podcast is going to join me. He's awesome. We're going to have a good chat. We'll probably go big picture because the series is at 3-0 and um, how really much more can we get into the nitty-gritty. But either way, that'll be fun. And then on Saturday after the game, Katie Heindel is likely going to join me for one of these podcasts. It'll be a little side-by-side action. It'll be a lot of fun. And uh, we will talk about the game Saturday afternoon after that happens, win or lose. And uh, that'll be fun as well. We'll leave it there. Thank you for tuning into the show. If you're listening on audio, you missed the stream. What's wrong with you? Why weren't you awake at midnight after a playoff loss to watch the stream? How dare you? Uh, Either way, Appreciate you whether you caught this in the morning on the audio version or in the updated video version that's going to be up on the site in the morning. Or if you uh, watch the stream, you are uh, wonderful, wonderful people, and I'm forever indebted to all of you. Uh, So thank you. We will talk to you on 
Friday with Rohan Nagrini. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy watching the highlights of this game and wallowing for a couple of days. And then move on. Go watch Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit some dongs or something like that for the Blue Jays. That's fun, too. Uh, thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you then. And uh, bye-bye. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.